Do I ever doubt my faith? Why or why not? What are some of my biggest tips for new moms? Also, why aren't Protestants more strongly against birth control? These are some questions that you guys have asked me. We will address those today and quite a few more on this episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout for a discount. That's GoodRanchers.com, code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Hope everyone is having a wonderful day, a wonderful week. All right, we're going to get through some of the questions that you guys sent me per usual. Some will be fun and lighthearted. Some will be a little bit deeper. Um, and hopefully you'll get out a lot. Uh, you'll get a lot out of all of them. All right, I want to answer this question, which I actually meant to answer last time and I just forgot, but I thought that this was interesting. So this is a question presumably from... Uh, Catholic, I'm not sure, but just how it's worded, that's what I'm assuming. And the question is, why aren't Protestants more strongly against birth control? And so there is, I think, kind of this idea that Catholics are most strongly against birth control. And that is probably true if you're looking at all different kinds of contraceptives, whereas many Protestants, especially many evangelical Protestants, especially white evangelical Protestants, which is by far the most conservative subset of Protestantism, they may see or we may see um, hormonal birth control as immoral, but not necessarily all forms of uh, contraceptives like condoms and things like that. Most Protestants like aren't concerned about that, whereas you will probably find more Catholics who would be against even that kind of contraceptive. So I see what you're saying there, and it does seem like the Catholics who are anti-birth control are uh, more consistent and louder proponents of not using birth control than Protestants are. But I wanted to look this up on Pew Research because I actually, I find this a lot. There are a lot of Catholics whom I love. Like, I love that you guys listen to the podcast. You guys know that I am a Reformed Protestant. Um, and so we don't align on some things, but on a lot of things we certainly agree on. So I'm very glad you're here. I'm glad that we're friends and that you follow me. And I really respect and admire a lot of your um, advocacy, especially when it comes to pro-life. But I get a lot of like presumptuous questions like, why aren't Protestants more like this? Or why aren't they more conservative about this? Why aren't they, are, why aren't they as outspoken about this as Catholics are? And actually, it's not, it's not true. Typically, when I get these kinds of questions and these accusations about Protestants not being strong on something. When you look at the data, Catholics, and this is just, okay, this is just true. When it comes to Catholics in general, and just like Protestants, there are different, there's a difference between Catholics who actually attend church and who are, are actually very observant versus Catholics in name only. The same thing is true of Protestants and how they view the world. But if you look at Catholics in general versus Protestants in general, Catholics are much more liberal on almost every single subject than Protestants in general are, whether you're talking about abortion, whether you're talking about birth control, whether you're talking about homosexuality or gender, just look at the research, especially the research that Pew Research has, and you will find that that tends to be true. So I wanted to look at this 
of um, on birth control and contraceptive. So three quarters, this is the headline of this particular study, and I can link it for Pew Research, three quarters of evangelical Protestants say having an abortion is morally wrong. But there are a lot of questions underneath this. So the first question is about using contraceptives. And there are three charts or, or there are three rows in this. Morally wrong, morally acceptable, not a moral issue. So I will say that 4%, only only 4%, this is actually incredible, only 4% of Protestants say that using contraceptives is morally wrong versus 8% of Catholics. And so there are more Catholics who say, as I said a few minutes ago, that using contraceptives is morally wrong. But here's also something that's interesting. If you're looking at morally acceptable, the percentage of Protestants that believe using contraceptives is morally acceptable is 37% versus Catholics, 41% of Catholics. So more Catholics than Protestants think that using contraceptives is morally acceptable. And then 48% of Catholics think it's not a moral issue. 56% of Protestants think it is not a moral issue. Now, here's something interesting about abortion. I hear a lot, like, why aren't Protestants, why aren't evangelicals as outspoken about abortion as Catholics are? That's simply not true. I really respect and admire all of my Catholic friends who are so staunchly pro-life and are leading in a lot of ways the pro-life movement, but the pro-life movement just is is made up. The majority of the pro-life movement is made up of conservative evangelicals. That's just a fact. Um, and so I just don't think that that is, I just don't think that that's true. And if you look at the statistics here, 51% of Catholics believe that abortion is morally wrong versus 54% of Protestants. But if you break that down to the category that I am in, white evangelical, 76%, 76% of white evangelicals, a subset of Protestantism, believe that having an abortion is morally wrong versus 51% of Catholics. 16% of Catholics think that having an abortion is morally acceptable versus 14% of Protestants, 7% of white evangelicals, 45% of Catholic, or sorry, 31% of Catholics think it's not a moral issue at all versus 28% of Protestants and 13% of white evangelicals. And um, when it comes to homosexuality, like a huge difference. Uh, Catholics are much more accepting of homosexuality than Protestants are. So 32% of Catholics say that homosexual behavior is morally wrong. This is all under the same study, by the way, versus 51% of Protestants, 72% of white evangelicals. It's 26% or 16%. Sorry, I keep getting the one under it confused. 16% of Catholics believe that homosexual behavior is morally acceptable versus uh, 12% of Protestants, not a moral issue. 48% of Catholics believe that. Only 33% of Protestants believe that. 22% of white evangelicals. And so I just think it's important to, to look at the data there. And I think I gave enough caveats and, and nuances, but because I have so many strong conservative Catholics following me, I do get a lot of these kind of like accusatory, presumptuous questions. Why don't Protestants do more of this? I'm like, well, let's look at the data, actually, um, because Protestants just tend to be more conservative on those things, especially uh, especially those of us who like go to churches that actually like believe 
in the Bible because there are many Protestant churches that quite frankly don't, and those churches tend to be more liberal. I'm sure that's true, obviously, of Catholic churches too, ones who actually care about the you know, the authority of the Bible and those that don't. So anyway, I've been wanting to answer that question. So there is that. Great, a break to tell you guys about Carly Jean Los Angeles, my favorite clothing company ever. I'm wearing all of their items right now because they're insanely comfortable. Also, as I'm recording this, I'm like nine months pregnant. And so I'm always going for comfort. But with Carly Jean, I don't have to compromise uh, cuteness for comfort. I know that I can always wed those two things perfectly because all of their clothes are so cute and so comfortable. And it simplifies my closet. I can just get a few nice staples. Staple, uh, items and then I can mix and match them and I love how it that just makes my life easier and it takes time out of getting dressed every day and I can fit these clothes in every stage of life and I really appreciate that about them but I appreciate even more that Carly and her family love the Lord they're pro-life they have the same values that you and I do so it's just a win all around go to carlyjeanlosangeles.com use promo code AllieB at checkout for 20% off your order carlyjeanlosangeles.com code AllieB carlyjeanlosangeles.com code AllieB Next question, a more uh, a more lighthearted question. My favorite day of the year. Um, now, is this a reference to Miss Congeniality? Is this like, what's your favorite date? And she's like, April 24th, because it's not too hot and it's not too cold and all you need is a light jacket. And she misunderstood the question. Um, if it's a reference to that, thank you for referencing that. That is a movie and a line of my youth that I appreciate. My favorite day of the year, probably July 4th. I just love the 4th of July. I love summer. Summer is my favorite season even though it is insufferably hot. Uh, I just, I I love 4th of July festivities. I love the feeling of it. I love the pool. So probably, yeah, probably the 4th of July. Is that bad? Was I supposed to say Christmas or Easter? Sorry. Um, all right, let's see. Do you ever doubt your faith? Why or why not? So this is a deeper question. I'm not gonna spend too much time on it. So in high school, we read a senior year of high school, as a class, the, the Reason for God by Tim Keller. And look, I know we've got some disagreements as conservative Christians with some of the things that Tim Keller says, some of the things that he doesn't say when it comes to really important moral and political issues. I am with you on that. That doesn't change the fact that his books have really helped, or at least kind of when I was coming into when I was coming into the faith, you know, really strongly and genuinely. Um as a 17, 18 year old, like it doesn't change the fact that his works have had a, a lot of, uh, had a big influence on me and still do in a lot of ways. I've read probably more books from Tim Keller than I have from any other author. So anyway, in Reason for God, he talks about a faith without doubt is like a body without antibodies. And I don't remember if that was his direct quote or if he was quoting someone else, but that's really stuck with me. And now I don't think that we should seek out doubts. I don't think that, you know, to try to fit in with the age of deconstruction, like we should be like, oh yeah, like I'm really, I'm really doubtful too. Yeah, I was taught that growing up and now I'm gonna repudiate purity culture just because that's the cool thing to do, whatever. But I do think that it's okay to have thoughtful questions and thoughtful and thoughtful doubts. Now I I I don't want to put a virtue on doubt though, as if it's something that's 
good. Like I don't think doubting doubting Thomas was an example that we are supposed to follow. I think that we can see that there is grace for those doubts and that God is big enough for our questions. Um, and I think it's okay to have doubts and even can be good to have doubts as long as we lean into God's truth in order to try to understand them better and to try to dis- diminish them or to rectify them. Um, I don't think doubts that we allow to just percolate, that we allow to weaken our faith, that we allow the world to answer for us are healthy. I think those kind of doubts that we don't actually wrestle with, like using the power of God and the truth of God's word, I think that they can do serious damage, that they can get their foot in the door, they can become a stronghold. And so I don't think it's good for us to just say, yeah, I have doubts and not to do anything about them. Look, there are theologians for the past 2,000 years who are much smarter than all of us, who know a lot more about the Bible than we do, who I promise you have had the same doubts and the same questions that you and I have had. That's one of my gripes with the whole deconstruction movement is the arrogance, not from everyone, but from a lot of the so-called thought leaders there that act like their questions that they have about God and the Bible and morality and existential issues are novel. Like no one has ever questioned before the existence of evil. Like no one has ever asked how it's possible for God to be all good and all powerful and allow such evil stuff to happen. Like people have asked those questions before. People have gone through really difficult trials, really tough times, and have had to wrestle with how could a good and loving God who says that he's my good shepherd and my father and who loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me allow something horrible like this to happen to me or my child. And so I take comfort in that alone is that I remember that there have been Christians much stronger than me, much smarter than me, who have gone through much more difficult things, who have held on to their faith, even through their doubts and their questions. And so let us go to the wisdom of the word and the wisdom of godly and strong people who have walked through the fires of tribulation and asked many of our same questions when we have doubts. Some of the things that I just listed, those are some of the doubts that I have. Or I wouldn't even say doubts as much as questions. And are there moments when just to be transparent, I'm like, whoa, what if what if it's not, what if it's not what I think? What if it's totally different? What if that person is right? Of course, there are moments that we all have that way because we're human, because we're fallible. Those moments won't go away until until glory, until eternity. And so it's okay to have those questions, but again, We have to pray through them. We have to think through them. We have to work through them. We have to work out our salvation, as we are told in Philippians 2, uh, with fear and with trembling, with humility. Um, God is big enough for our questions. I hear that a lot. But I also hear, you know, God is big enough for our anger. God is big enough for our shaking our fist, asking, why would you do this? Sure, he's big enough. But have you read the book of Job? He doesn't take well to that. He doesn't like that. He doesn't appreciate questioning his authority and questioning his justice and questioning his righteousness, questioning his judgment. That's not something that he takes happily to. Is he big enough to quote unquote handle it? Of course, he's God. I don't even like using that language. But if you want to see how God responds to our assuming that we know better than him, 
You can read the end of Job. It's not very nicely. That doesn't mean there's not grace and forgiveness. There was grace and forgiveness for Job, but God chastised him. And so I think in our doubts, we have to realize that we are not God. There's not going to be an answer to all the questions that we have um, on this side of eternity. And I think that's okay. And, you know, people often, when we talk about like predestination and things like that, which personally, like I think is so clear just in the character of God, but also passages like Ephesians 1 5, um, that, oh, like, aren't you scared you're not chosen? Look, I spent years of my life when I was little asking God over and over again to come into my heart asking God over and over again to please die for my, or to please help me believe that you died for my sins so I wouldn't go to hell. And you know what really I was hung up on probably ages like six to, I don't know, maybe 16, was did I do it right? Do I have little enough doubt? Is my faith really strong enough? Well, I did keep messing up after that. I did keep, you know, you know, disrespecting my parents. I I didn't read my Bible. This idea that salvation is actually dependent on me, that it's dependent on my faith, and that it's not about God choosing us, that creates a lot more insecurity. That creates a kind of performance-based, flimsy, like shaky salvation story that I'm glad is not my testimony. So when people say, well, you know, aren't you so worried about predestination, Calvinism, all that thing, all that stuff? I'm like, well, actually, I think the fact that God chose us before he laid the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 tells us, gives me so much security because it's not about me. I didn't contribute to my salvation. And so I do have the freedom to doubt and to question and to go to God with these things and to know that that's, that's, that's not the, uh, what determines whether I am sincerely saved or not. All right, quick pause to tell you guys about Relief Band. So if you are struggling with nausea, whether it's because you're in that first trimester of pregnancy or you get nausea from motion sickness or traveling, anxiety, or whether it's chemotherapy, and you're not too keen on using drugs to try to um, to try to do away with this nausea, then you should really try Relief Band. It is a drug-free solution to your nausea. It is a wrist that, or it is a band that you wear on your wrist and it stimulates a nerve that tells your brain to then communicate to your stomach to stop getting sick. I mean, this can be a real game changer because as you know, nausea can really inhibit your life, especially it's when if it's when you're driving or traveling or something like that. And this is a really great drug-free solution for you. It can be a life changer honestly, if you struggle with chronic nausea. Go to reliefband.com slash Allie. Use promo code Allie at checkout. Uh, reliefband.com slash Allie. Use code Allie at checkout for 20% off. Reliefband.com slash Allie. Code Allie for 20% off. 
Let's see. Uh, well, some of these questions, I just don't have the full experience and wisdom to be able to answer about motherhood and marriage. Let's see. But I will see top tips for new moms. Okay, that's a good question. Oh, goodness. There's so many tips. There's so many tips that I could give you. And these are my opinion. Okay, this is also like controversial territory to step into because everything everyone does things differently. And I'm very much unless it's sin, unless it's actually harmful. I am very much of the mind as a mom that what works for you and your family works for you and your family. Again, unless there is some kind of like objective moral issue with it. Now, that doesn't mean I disagree or that doesn't mean I agree with everyone's methods of motherhood. But, you know, a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I follow, they do things in their day-to-day lives that I wouldn't do. There are things that I do that if I advertise those things, like, you know, daily routines or like food or like all all the kind of all the kind of stuff that moms do on a day-to-day basis. There'd be plenty of people that would be like, I wouldn't do it that way or that doesn't make sense or I wouldn't have explained it like that. Whatever. So so just understand, I understand that there are going to be disagreements, but when it comes to new moms, like brand spanking new moms, the first thing that I would say is let other people do things for you that you don't have to do. The only thing you have to do right now, the only thing that only you can do is be a mother to your child. No one else can do that. I hope that you have a supportive husband who is a great dad. That's great. He can be a supportive husband and great dad. I hope you have a mom, mother-in-law, sisters, friends that can come. They can help you clean. They can help you cook. They can help you do all of these things. Do not deny help. Do not. Okay? I'm telling you right now. Don't you deny help. Someone says, can I do your laundry? Can I clean your kitchen? Can I hold the baby while you shower? Only you can shower. No one can shower for you. So that would be on the list of things that only you can do. You say yes. You don't say, are you sure? You don't say, well, only if you really want to. You say yes, enthusiastically. You will bless that person because they want to bless you. They want the blessing, whether it's selfish or not. They want the blessing of feeling really good about using their time and their resources on your behalf. So let them. These first few weeks, especially maybe the first few months, if you can get away with only doing the things that only you can do, only you can be a parent to your toddlers, only you can be a mother to this child, only do those things. And you know what I also had to realize? And this was before I gave birth last time. I wanted everything to be in order. I wanted all of my rooms to be cleaned out. I wanted everything to be organized. I wanted food to be prepared. I wanted all of my ducks in a row before I could allow myself to relax and really go into labor and all of that. And that just wasn't gonna happen. You know, I had an almost two-year-old and I was trying to get work done and everything before I had the baby and I just had to let things go. I had to realize the pantry was probably gonna get messy again. I probably wasn't going to make it to Goodwill to give all, all these clothes away. I probably should have asked for more help than I did, but I also had to just be at peace with some things still being in chaos. I had to be okay with the mess. And so rather than trying to control my environment, to be perfect so I could try to manufacture peace on the inside, I had to tap into the peace that's already there and allow my circumstances and allow my outside environment to just be. I had to realize that my peace, my calm could not be dependent 
on everything being perfect in or and in order outside of me because I just didn't have control over those things and that was actually going to cause me more stress. So that is just like a general tip that I would give you for pregnancy, also for new motherhood, is that like God has given you peace. Tap into that peace that you have inside. Everything does not have to be perfect for you to be a happy, joyful, and peaceful mom. You're not always going to feel happy, joyful, and peaceful, by the way. That's okay. Your breastfeeding journey doesn't go the way you want it to. You wish your husband would pick up the slack a little bit more. Um, you wish the house would be cleaner, whatever it is. Some things you're just going to have to let go, and you cannot allow your peace to depend on those things. Get help also with sleep for your baby. I know this is controversial. I just had to add something controversial in there. We love taking care of babies. And I know there is debate about this. Some people will be like, no, I'm going to let my baby sleep with me until they're six years old. I love waking up every two hours. Okay. That's one of those things that I'm like, you do you as a mom. Like if you want to like co-sleep with your baby and you don't want to do any kind of sleep training, I'm talking about gentle sleep training, all right? I'm not talking about abandoning your crying newborn at all. But getting on rhythms and schedules and helping them learn how to, even as you're there, helping them fall asleep on their own, girl, that is like maybe the best thing that we did. Some people will be completely anti that. We'll say, you know what? You just let your child dictate when they want to sleep. Let them, you know, sleep with you for year, whatever. Okay, that's fine. That's what you want to do. For us, it was six months-ish, maybe a little less than that, in the bassinet in our room. For the first, it was six months. For the second, I think it was less than that. And then go in their room, you know, and it's it's a... It's a it's a process of how many times they wake up, but I will say for our oldest, slept through the night, 12 hours a night since six months old has not changed. Second one, a little bit different, better at naps, a little bit touch and go at night, but sleeps through the night. Look, I know people who are completely anti-sleep training whose four-year-olds still wake up multiple times a night. For us, that was just like a no-go, okay? That was just not gonna happen. Personally, I think it is better for your marriage. I think it's better for your child. I think it's better for your sanity. I think it's better for you physically to get a full night's sleep as soon as you can. For these first few months, that's not gonna happen with your baby. That's totally fine. It eventually can happen though. It can happen. It takes some discipline. It takes some effort. It takes some learning your child and learning yourself and learning how all of this goes. And again, we're not talking about abandoning your child to just like let them cry it out. That's not what we're talking about. But I recommend some kind of logical, compassionate sleep training regimen that will help your child while before their first year be sleeping through the night, 12 hours a night. That would be like, that is a great gift to give a new mom as well. Um, I, I promise you that will make you happier a healthier family. And you will be ready sooner for your second child because it's really hard. If your three-year-old still isn't sleeping through the night to say that you want another child after that. That's my take. Just gonna stir up some controversy and leave it there. 
Okay, guys, next sponsor for the day is Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes software can help protect you and your family against pornography. So they've got a few different tools. One tool is an accountability tool that allows you to work with a trusted accountability partner to protect you from accessing pornography. So the Covenant Eyes app sends a report of all of your online activity to your chosen trusted accountability partner. Maybe it's someone in your small group, someone in your church, and they get a report of all your activity. And if they see that you've accessed pornography, you guys have a conversation about that. And so just that layer of accountability and transparency can protect you from, you know, giving into that temptation. Or if you're someone who has struggled with addiction in the past, this can keep you on the right track. And then also, uh, the app can help you protect your kids. It monitors your children's devices and their safe search and filtering tools keep porn at bay. Their Victory app gives you a comprehensive feed of their device activity and sends alerts if explicit material is accessed. So this is really a way to work with your family, to work with accountability partners to protect you, your minds, your hearts, your souls from the damage of pornography. You can download Covenant Eyes today. Go to covenanteyes.com, enter code Ally at checkout. You'll get free 30 days. So that's 30 days of Covenant Eyes for free if you go to covenanteyes.com, code Ally. That's covenanteyes.com, code Ally. If I had to vote for one as president, which one? AOC. Hillary or Bernie? Honestly, probably Bernie Sanders. Probably Bernie Sanders. Hillary, no. No, 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 no. Just too corrupt and too just scary. Too scary. AOC, like, we gotta have, I have like a certain threshold for IQ that I would hold the president who I, I believe Bernie Sanders probably is pretty smart. I think he's totally misguided. But if he actually went back to his roots on some things like immigration, he was kind of an immigration hawk at one point, And I think probably wouldn't get us involved in as many unnecessary foreign affairs as neocon Hillary would. Um, so yeah, I'm probably going to go with Bernie Sanders. Ooh, favorite Carly Jean outfit. Well, I'm wearing one right now. It's all linen. So there's some there's some cons to linen, obviously. I mean, you can steam this stuff for like an hour and a half and you're like, oh, I got one wrinkle out. But actually, this isn't this isn't really like that. It was really easy to steam this shirt. And I love these pants. They're elastic pants, um, elastic waistband. And I always love that. Their stuff is just so comfortable. Um I love all their pants. I love all their jeans. Also, when I'm not pregnant, their tank tops, like I forget the names of them, but like the square cut tank tops are just like really cute and really flattering. Um, it's hard to pick. It's hard to pick. I love their dresses too. I just love Carly Jean Los Angeles. Um, let's see. Uh, how to help non-believing friends see that their approach to dating is harmful to them, uh, I think probably the best way to do that because you're not starting from the same premise, like you don't you don't subscribe to the same morality that we find from uh, from the Bible. I think asking questions is probably 
the best way to start that conversation. I think you can eventually be more explicit if you want to. Well, you know what? Like God's way is better. Here's what I mean by that. Or you can get them to read a book with you. If there's like a great book that you found on dating relationships, or maybe it's just a Christian book about Christianity in general to just kind of plant the seeds. Um, I would I would just ask them questions about like how it makes them feel. And it, it's it's going to be difficult for them not to be defensive, and that's okay. But if they keep on ending up with the same toxic guys that are breaking their heart, or they keep doing one night stands and the next day they just feel so guilty and empty, or whatever it is, I would ask them questions about that. Like, what is leading them to pick those kinds of guys? What is leading them to make those choices? And just kind of showing them you don't feel good after this, and you know there's a better way. They might not know, they might not realize there's a better way. Maybe they need you to show them that. Um, what is your ratio between related bros and related girls? Oh, the ratio is very in favor and related girls. I don't think I've ever said that. I think I've said like related, related gals. Someone suggested related bells. I've never really found one for the gals that I really love. Related bros just flows really well. Um, it is heavily women, but there, I mean, there's a significant portion of guys, but I would say it's probably probably 80-20 or 85-15, which I have striven for that. Striven? Is that how you say the past tense of strive? I don't know. I don't know. Um, But anyway, that is what I've worked towards. That's the effort that I've put in. And our audience is very, very unique among, if you consider this like conservative political podcast, which I'm not even sure I would, it's probably the podcast that most weds theology and politics and culture just like most explicitly like on the conservative political side and this is not a criticism of anyone this is just how it is on the conservative political side you have like political podcasts that will bring in god and they do it in a sincere way they talk about the importance of faith and things like that but it's not theology heavy they don't necessarily talk about that on every show where it's not one of the primary things that they talk about And then you've got Christian podcasts that will sometimes weave in some cultural issues, but won't necessarily talk explicitly about politics. That's totally fine, too. Um, This is probably one of the, I won't say the only, one of the only shows that talks about these things in the exact way that we do. And that is very intentional. And I also have very intentionally tried to create this show in a way that targets and is comfortable for and attractive to my the the audience that I'm looking for, the audience that I really represent. That's why it's called Relatable, because this is just me being sincere, trying to navigate through the craziness and the chaos of this world as a 31-year-old Christian woman. So that's most of who listens to this podcast, mostly ages 25 to 45 women. Um, There's plenty of people that fall outside of that. There's older relatable listeners who I really appreciate. There's college age. There's high schoolers and middle schoolers even that listen to this with their parents. There's guys out there who listen to this. And so, yeah, there's, there, there is a wide range, but I have very intentionally tried to carve out this part of the market, if you will. And there are very, very few political, any kind of newsy, I wouldn't consider us newsy, but newsy podcasts that have a majority female audience. Most people that pay attention to politics on YouTube and follow any kind of political podcast are male. They are very male dominated audiences. Not at Relatable. Here we are.
This is the home, the home for Christian women, Christian conservative women, mostly trying to navigate the craziness of this world, hopefully from a biblical perspective. Um, all right. I think that's where we will end for today. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Relatabells and Relatabros. If you could please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to Relatable, that would mean so much to us and it really does help the show. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Thanks. Thanks.